I'm Stuart Preston, and this is the Consciousness Podcast, where each week I have a conversation with an expert in human consciousness. This week, I had the pleasure of speaking with Raphael Millier, and our topic was psychedelics and consciousness. Raphael is a third-year PhD student of philosophy at the University of Oxford and an Erdogan scholar working under the supervision of Martin Davies. He's also affiliated with the Center for Subjectivity Research at the University of Copenhagen as part of an external co-supervision agreement with Dan Zahavi. Finally, he is a research member and coordinator of ALIAS, an interdisciplinary research group on altered states of consciousness, and organized an interdisciplinary conference in Oxford on the sense of self. It was a great conversation, so please enjoy part one of our time with Raphael Millier. All right, perfect. Well, Raphael, I appreciate you joining us here today for the Consciousness Podcast. And um, I think as an introduction, it'd be great if you could tell us about Alias and its mission and, and what you're looking to accomplish there and what you guys are studying. Sure. First, so first of all, thank you, Stuart, for, for having me. It's a pleasure to, to be here. Um, thank so, you. So Alias is a, um, an international and interdisciplinary research group uh, working on consciousness with, um, I think, the specific goal of advancing our understanding of the diversity of consciousness across various different states. So, in other words, um, the group is dedicated to the investigation of all aspects of consciousness with a specific mm-hmm. focus on non-ordinary or understudied, maybe, conscious states uh, that are traditionally classified as altered states of consciousness. So uh, one way to look at this is that, um, in a way, uh, our starting point uh, was that most of consciousness research focuses on a, on a relatively small sample of consciousness states. Um, right. You know, the, 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 the kind of conscious states that are easy to study in the lab, basically. Uh, right. So if you ask someone in the lab to, uh, to, to you know, think about uh, uh, their home or to... Uh, 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 look at uh, uh, a specific uh, stim- stimulus on, on a screen. These are ordinary uh, uh, conscious states, uh, you know, that involve just uh, uh, um, mind wandering or thinking or, or, or per- uh, consciously perceiving something on a screen. These are these are very normal, so to speak, states of consciousness. Uh, and at Alius, what we wanted to, to do is, is gather a team of people across disciplinary backgrounds um, who would be looking at, uh, uh, you know, uh, states that are a bit more uh, outlandish or that, that, that not, not in a scientific sense, that these are all states that can be rigorously and scientifically studied, and that's very important, but, but states that are uh, less familiar, more maybe unusual, less ordinary. So, all these these states that are um, usually uh, called uh, altered states. So there, there, I have some there are some issues with this notion of altered state that we can come back to. But um, uh, that's that's the uh, the kind of idea. And 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 there's a further idea that that um, most research in neuroscience and psychology uh, and maybe in all the fields uh, uh, that deal with with uh, consciousness. Uh, not only do they study a small, relatively small repertoire of states, if you will, they also study a small sample of people, of individuals. And that's something that a, a psychologist uh, um, called Joe Henrich um, 
uh, flagged in a, in a 2010 article. Uh, uh, so he, he talked in this article about what he called weird, weird people or weird societies. And then he, it's kind of a, a play on words. So he uses weird as an acronym for Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. And that's basically the sample of people, you know, in a typical uh, uh, psychology or neuroscience experiment, uh, the, the participants are grad students. Uh, uh, and this typically happens in Western universities. Uh, so with the kind of uh, same sample of people. And this also might be a limit to most of consciousness research because maybe in other cultures and other uh, uh, also, uh, um, you know, um, uh, genetic backgrounds in other, uh, uh, in other uh, communities, uh, there might be uh, also different kinds of consciousness, it, conscious states, even for what we refer to as baseline states, which, which, which is the, the term to mean, you know, the kind of ordinary, normal, vanilla conscious states. Um, right. So, that's, so the, the, the name Alius, actually, we tried to, to find an acronym and we couldn't find one. So it's, it's just a Latin word, which, which means other or different. Uh, and, uh, and, and I guess one other thing that characterizes this group is that um, we put a particular stress on the need for a naturalistic approach to, to all aspects of consciousness. Um, including this, these altered states that are, have long been, uh, I think, unduly associated with parapsychology and pseudoscience, pseudo pseudoscientific hypotheses, very outlandish claims, uh, mystical claims. So uh, it's very important for us, of course, to distance ourselves from this and say, look, we can look at, we can look at these states such as you know, meditation, dreaming, psychosis, uh, drug-induced states, hypnosis, sensory deprivation, or even things like, like uh, states uh, that people uh, can have in like rituals or, or religious experiences, all of these states can be uh, studied in a, in, a, in a scientific way. And we can look at both what people experience, what they feel, the, the phenomenology of these states, and their uh, neurophysiological uh, 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 substratum, like what, what underlies them in what kind of processes in the brain underlies the states. Uh, and we can do all of this without uh, uh, having any, uh, you know, um, uh, outlandish theory uh, about, um, uh, you know, the existence of, of souls or immaterial spirits or, or, or what have you that have sometimes been associated with, with such, uh, such states. So that's in a, in a nutshell the, the scope and, and goal of Alice. Okay, so you're looking at all the... Uh the altered states here. And obviously one of the things I'm, you know, that I reached out to you for was the, uh, the psychedelics, you know, component of that. And, mm -hmm. and looking through the, the Alias website, which is aliasresearch.org. And we'll put a link to that on the, uh, the website. Um, you see any relation between, and I, I think you mentioned this is why I bring it up between dreaming and psychedelic induced states of consciousness. Right. Um, so I, I think that the, this is a very interesting question. So I th I, if, if you look at the history of the notion of altered states, um, it, it's a term, there was, it's an expression that was coined in the 60s uh, by a researcher named Arnold Ludwig. Uh, mm. And he kind of had a very um, 
you know, in, in, in with what what appears today to be a, a somewhat simplistic notion. Uh, that's what we call on on the the website um, the little text we, we put on the website that was what we called um, uh, a one-dimensional or unidimensional un model of uh, altered states or of consciousness in general. So basically, Ludwig's idea was that um, you have normal states and you have altered states, and altered states are simply um, the 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 states, the conscious states that that differ from the normal state. It's just a deviation from the norm, as if there is a single respect in which uh, all of those states differ from normal states. So that kind of suggests that you know all these uh, unusual states uh, of consciousness that you can reach in meditation, dreaming, psychosis, drug-induced states, hypnosis, and so on. Um, are all kind of the same thing. So they are all uh, stem from uh, uh, a deviation, a specific kind of deviation from normal states. Uh, but that's kind of problematic because, of course, uh, you know, it, it, you know, on the face of it, the, all of these states are, are, are different. They, uh, not only are they induced in different ways, but also they feel different if you look at the reports of people having experienced such states. Um, so I think that applies to, to dreams and to uh, drug-induced states as well. Uh, um, I think there might be some respects in which uh, there is a, some overlap in, in the way in which uh, these, these states are experienced by, by individuals. Um, and maybe in the underlying uh, uh, also neurophysiological processes. So, for instance, one interesting question is how dreaming and uh, driving you states, especially at higher doses uh, for certain drugs, uh, um, modulate uh, the link between consciousness and memory. Uh, so typically, uh, we have a lot of dreams that we don't remember, uh, or you know that we might only remember if we wake up in the middle of the dream or something like that. Um, and uh, uh, you know, by analogy, there seems to be some 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 states of induced by by psychotropic substances that are difficult to report or maybe uh, uh, difficult even to to to, to store in memory. And that's a good, of course a very um, a challenge for for research. That's one respect in which maybe there is some uh, some overlap. And 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 more generally, of course, these are. Uh, uh, you know, very, very simply, they, weird things happen when we dream and weird things might happen to people who take certain kinds of drugs. Uh, so uh, the usual rules uh, um, uh, of, you know, uh, how we feel things don't necessarily apply in this, in this state. Uh, and uh, um, uh, I think that's that's you know that's that's a very general respect in which these two states might might also uh, be similar, but there is little research yet on on the there is little research yet on on the the, the commonalities between dream states and drug induced states. Although there are some some current projects, my I, I think my my colleague and, and friend Martin Fortier, who's uh, who co-founded Algus uh, with me and, and Guillaume Dumas. And, he, and who is also one of the coordinators of values has a an upcoming um, uh, or ongoing research project comparing dream states and and 
psychedelic states. So, so that's definitely mm. something to look into. Yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting concept. If it's kind of a, a side question, is is there, you know, one of the topics we're going to talk about is the drug-induced um, ego dissolution. Has there ever been something like a, a dream state-induced ego dissolution? Is that is that something that exists or that you've even heard of? Yes. So that's also a very interesting question, actually. Um, I'll say, I, I guess we'll we'll speak more about drug-induced ego dissolution and, and what it is. But but in a, in a nutshell, it's a complex effect produced by by certain psychoactive substances, uh, usually at medium to high doses, um, which is typically described as the loss of one's sense of self, or, or and and the feeling of of merging with one's environment, or you know, of losing a solid sense of boundary between self and world. Um, so you know, very, 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 uh, in a very um, schematic way, you could say it's kind of like a selfless state, like a state in which you don't really experience uh, things uh, uh, as relating to oneself, as 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 uh, being things happening to you yourself. Uh, and there has been some some research on whether something kind of similar could could, could happen in dreams. So. Um, for instance, uh, Jennifer Vint, uh, who uh, is one of the leading uh, dream researchers and, 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 and specifically philosophers working on dreams uh, uh, today, she wrote, she wrote a, a wonderful book, a very, very big book um, on dreaming uh, recently. Uh, and so in her research, she, she has looked into this and she, she has looked, uh, first of all, at, at so-called bodyless dreams. So there are dreams uh, that seem to lack any kind of body image or, or, or representation of one's body so uh you might also call them disembodied dreams people in which yeah, dreams in which people individuals experience things uh as if they were disembodied or didn't have a body but of course mm -hmm. uh having a sense of self presumably is more than just feeling as if you had a body um and uh um what what Jennifer uh, uh, believes is that actually in dreams there is always a residual uh, um, kind of self-awareness in insofar as you always feel that you yourself are located in a specific environment or like immersed in a specific environment. So if there is this notion of immersion, she she talks actually she she has a model of dreams as uh, um, a kind of uh, um, immersive hallucination so if, if you have this feeling of being immersed in an environment in your dreams being being uh uh temporarily located somewhere then in a way it is you yourself who is there there's someone there and that's you so in that respect uh she thinks that you know uh, a core the core aspect the minimal aspect of self awareness is preserved in dreams uh, and uh, uh, what's interesting about drug-induced ego dissolution, and that's something we, we have had the opportunity of, of briefly um, exchanging about uh, in, in, in by email, is that in, in drug-induced ego dissolution, it seems that actually it's one step further in the sense that people seem to have lost even, I mean, temporarily, of course, this is a very sh rather short-lived uh, state. People seem to lose even this minimal residual aspect of they themselves being present somewhere in an environment so right. yeah that's what i would say about that yeah and i guess uh well i say right now the uh 
the audio is starting to get a little mushy again, so I don't know if there's something you can move. Oh, okay. Back. Um, so the the my connection is is good. I guess I'll try to move get closer to the closer to the um, the internet uh, box. Let me let me try. Um, second. Is it uh, is it working okay now? That sounds a little better. Yes. Okay. Great. Right. Do you, do you want right, me? Thank to you. Sorry. To go Sorry about again that. Or to go to my answer again? No, no. That's. I think I think we heard heard most of that, and it was a good lead in. I think to the whole discussion of the uh, the drug induced ego dissolution. You because you you described what that is, and mm -hmm. so I don't know if you feel ready if you want to you know jump in a little bit more and describe it a little more in depth. But that's something that. You know, sure. is going to be central to the next few questions, so I'd love to to hear more about that. Right. So, um, right. So, so, so. First of all, I should say that um, we have been experiencing in the past fifteen years or so um, a kind of renaissance of of drug research uh, in general. So it, it has been very difficult for decades to study uh, psychoactive drugs. Because of the so-called um, war on drugs, which which was uh, this kind of prevalent uh, policy, which applied also not just to to um, to drug use, but also to drug research. Uh, and in the past fifteen years, uh, um, various teams of scientists have been able to uh, study study um, a range of psychoactive drugs again. Uh, and and this has led to to very interesting results, uh, not not just for the study of of how these drugs alter consciousness, but also for their uh, therapeutic potential, uh, which which we might we can maybe say say word about later on. Um, and so so this um, notion of drug induced ego dissolution uh, has been around with in you know other in. With, with various various terms have been used uh, uh, in the in the scientific literature for a while, even before the war on drugs. So that that is in the in the 30s uh, with the first experiment experiments on mescaline, uh, and then mm -hmm. the 40s and 50s, and the first experiments with LSD when when it was synthesized um, by Hoffman. Uh, so people were already talking about uh, uh, ego dissolution, ego disintegration. Uh, ego loss, all of these, all of these expressions had had been run back then, um, and uh, uh, it was quite ap apparent already to the to those very re early researchers, pioneers of drug research, that uh, something was going on with especially big doses of of, of psychedelic drugs um, that seems to alter the kind of uh, uh, how people experience themselves or, 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 or like self experience. Or also sense of self, um, and, uh, and and this this has been studied in more details recently, just because we we use back then they used uh, kind of uh, uh, unconstrained reports from participants, just asking participants what they felt, to so were to write down or to describe what they felt, and nowadays typically uh, um, drug studies use questionnaires, um, 
that uh, mm -hmm. you know are, are made with a, a set of items uh, uh, that uh, people have to rate on a little scale. That uh, basically they have to 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 put a mark on a scale that goes from not at all to a lot. So not at all on the far right. left and a lot on the far right. So for instance, uh, let's say you have a you have an item that reads uh, "I feel very happy," and you can put the little mark. Uh, wherever you want on the scale, that can be in the middle, which means you, you, you feel neutral, uh, neither happy or unhappy, or you can put it all the way to the left, which, which means you feel very unhappy, or all the way to the right, which means that you feel very happy. So uh, right. th there is a kind of standardized uh, questionnaire, which is called the altered sets of consciousness questionnaire. Um, and uh, this questionnaire is typically used in drug research and uh, covers a lot of ground in terms of what people might experience during this. Uh, these, these experiments when they are in these states. Um, and some of these items uh, uh, relate to ego dissolution, to the experience of, of losing one's sense of self, uh, merging, having the feeling of merging with one's environment and losing kind of like solid self, boundaries within self and world. Um, uh, and, and these, I mean, so th th there is nowadays, there is, there is less doubts about whether or not this is a valid construct, whether or not it's just, you know, an artifact but of, of how people speak, uh, uh, um, or whether it's actually a genuine phenomenon. It seems, it seems quite um, clear nowadays that there is converging evidence that this is a real phenomenon. Uh, uh, although, you know, there are lots of open questions about what exactly it is, what it feels like to experience this, and also uh, uh, what, it, what, it, what happens in the brain when people feel this. But it's very intriguing right. because it's, it's, such, it's described as such a radical and profound experience for those who, who describe it. Um, and so, so, so now we want to, to study this effect rigorously, find out what goes on in the brain when this happens, uh, but also understand better what people feel exactly when they experience this. And, and, right. and this relates to consciousness research in general uh, because this is a radically altered state of consciousness. A state that is right. by all accounts extremely intense and unusual. And so it has the potential to enlighten certain aspects of consciousness that we don't understand very well. Uh, if we study what's different about this drug in your state, what's different in these states compared to, to regular waking, waking life states of consciousness. So they can, they can be studied as, as, as contrast cases, if you will, to, to kind of um, understand what what goes on in this state that's different from regular states, which which by mm -hmm. by contrast enables which enable us to will enable us to to know more about regular states of consciousness. And in particular, for this specific state, uh, you know, it is potentially very interesting to shed light on uh, discussions on self awareness or the sense of self. Right. And with, with this, you know the. Uh the ego dissolution, you know, what, do you see any possible benefits from experiencing that? I know you meant, you mentioned just a few minutes ago that it can be a, you know, a, a scary experience, a very profound experience, but, um, you know, what are the possible benefits of that? You know, what could somebody take away from that experience? Um, yeah, that's a very, very interesting question. Um, so I think research, um, you know, research on this is still in, 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 in its infancy, I think, but it does suggest that, that most people find the drug-induced ego dissolution to be a very profound experience, even if it can be very challenging. 
um, you know, sometimes challenging experiences with, with uh, psychoactive substances like psychedelics and other substances, uh, although they can be very challenging when they happen, can be later on assessed as very significant. So as if mm -hmm. people, you know, um, uh, can take something away even from, the, from, from a difficult experience. Um, so just to give you a sense of how meaningful uh, psychedelic experiences can, can be, uh, there is a, a study conducted in, in 2006 by Roland Griffith um, at the Judd Hopkins in the, in the US, um, mm -hmm. uh, during which they administered a uh, high dose of psilocybin. So psilocybin is the active compound in, in uh, so-called magic mushrooms, uh, psychedelic mushrooms. Mm -hmm. So they, they, they gave a, 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 a rather high dose of psilocybin to, to volunteers, half volunteers. Um, I should add, for, for the listeners that are not uh, very familiar with this, substances that uh, this is not something that's dangerous the effects are completely reversible so after 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 a while they, they completely disappear and there is no long-lasting uh, negative uh, side effects. right no so, residual effects uh, right so so this is this is uh, you know of course you have to go through ethical approval to do this kind of research but this is now something that is done regularly without any 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 issue um, right so what was Fascinating about this this, uh, this this paper is that they found that so that they were looking into the meaningfulness of, of this experience, and they found that uh, seven uh, sorry sixty seven percent of the volunteers rated their experience with um, with a single high dose of psilocybin to be either the single most meaningful experience of their lives or among the top five most meaningful experiences of their lives. Uh, on par with wow. something like the birth of their first, ch first ch child or something like that. So this, this, you know, I think for a lot of people who were, uh, you know, including me, who were uh, new to, to this research uh, a few years ago, was really eye-opening because uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, this gives you a sense about how intense and meaningful uh, experiences induced by these substances can be. And, and there is evidence uh, uh, that, that, that is emerging now that, that the exhibition specifically is associated with very high ratings of meaningfulness. So it can be... Very high rates of, of what? Of meaningfulness, of, of significance for meaningfulness, people. Meaningfulness, right. Yes, so, so okay. experiencing solutions appears to be correlated with the, the very high rating of meaningfulness. So it can be a, a, a very transformative experience for some people. And, and I think this yeah. makes... This makes sense, given how intense and unique it seems to be. Um, for, for a start, a lot of people, when, when they, at least when they experience this for the first time, uh, report that they, they genuinely thought that they were dying when, when, when they had this experience. Yeah. And of course, it, it can be terrifying, and it's often reported as terrifying. Uh, usually, this is outside of lab studies. It's, more, it, it's reports from people doing this uh, you know, at home or in, you know, for recreative purposes. And they are not ex they are not expecting this, and then they are and they, and they can be uh, 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 it can be a terrifying experience. But what's very interesting, right. I think, is that it can also be an, uh, if you look at the reports, it can also be an absolutely blissful experience. Uh, and this seems to be modulated by whether or not people were expecting it, or whether they had experience with the drugs. So once they, they know that they're not dying, once they know that that. They, they, they expect this to happen, 
then they can kind of let go and 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 you know uh, enjoy the ride, so to speak. Um, and and so there is an open question about you know whether this this experience can have therapeutic benefits. Um, and this is something that uh, uh, people are looking into because there are, there is a lot of research going on about the therapeutic benefits of uh, psychedelic drugs and all the classes neuropharmacological classes of, of psychoactive drugs. Um, that suggests that uh, psychedelic drugs specifically, but maybe also drugs like ketamine, um, can be remarkably efficient to treat, uh, uh, for instance, depression, even in treatment-resistant people, patients, uh, but also to treat addiction uh, and maybe PTSD uh, uh, and, 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 and other conditions. So the question is, is whether um, drug-induced ego dissolution is particularly particularly efficient to 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 mediate this therapeutical effect. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. That does make me think about because I've I've read several studies on psychedelics and how they're beneficial for anxiety and depression, and you know, most of them focus on psilocybin and LSD. But you know, you mentioned the ketamine and. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and my own my own family's experiences and looking at depression and, and suicide and the the benefits that ketamine brings is is pretty right. pretty remarkable. But I never yeah. thought about the ego dissolution aspect of that and and uh, how that might be tied directly to that that therapeutic benefit. That's really that's really interesting. So if, if um, may... sorry, yeah. No, go ahead. Did you have a thought? I no, it's just I just just thought that you know that this is. This is just a personal personal hypothesis, but I, I think that maybe what we could explain uh, the, uh, the therapeutical benefits of specifically the experience of the dissolution, if, if it does have a specific therapeutic benefit, um, is that um, I guess in a way um, the experience of, of, of losing oneself can be appeasing, and especially if, if it's if it's like mediated by this feeling of merging with everything or merging with your environment it's it's a um um in, it, i guess it, it 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 can retain it can even many months after even maybe many years after um can remain a meaningful experience because um you know i think you had an, an episode on, on on buddhism i think and and uh, uh one of the one of the core one of the core tenets of buddhism is the idea that the self is an illusion and in, in a right. way, maybe what, what, what drug-induced ego dissolution, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the significance it can have for people is maybe that it kind of suggests to them in a very concrete way that the self is an illusion and so that they shouldn't be uh, too worried about uh, uh, the, the fear of losing, of, of losing oneself to death and, and this kind of, this is just a hypothesis, but I, the, the, Maybe we'll talk about this later. There, there are there are some 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 similarities between certain meditation-induced states and certain drug-induced states, and and meditation in, in the Buddhist tradition is also a tool to to illustrate the idea that the self is an illusion through reaching yeah. a, a state that that is kind of selfless. So there is maybe a similarity going on here. Um, that's just a hypothesis. Yeah, it's a good point because you're right. I did. I talked to Jacob Lucas, who is studying the the persistence of consciousness after death 
you know, in the, the Buddhist traditions. And it, it was interesting that, and again, like I mentioned to you before we got started, you talked to so many people, there's so many different ideas on, on consciousness. There's also a lot of different ideas on what is self. And then when right. you talk about the experience of an ego dissolution and what, what does it mean for one's own experience of self? And then, you know, you studying this, it's, uh, they're just, it's so fascinating. Um, which I guess brings me to, to that. Why, why do you study this? I mean, what, why is this important yes. to you? What, where does your passion come from? Yes, that's a very, um, that's, uh, that's a, a very good question. Um, so initially, I have to say that my, um, so I, I don't consider myself as a first and foremost a, a psychedelic researcher or a drug researcher. I, I'm not, I'm not a, a pharmacologist or a neuropharmacologist. I'm not a, a neuroscientist working specifically right. on, on drugs. Uh, and, um, uh, and I have, I have, you know, uh, as is reflected by my by my involvement in in Aldus with with all of, of the uh, uh, other researchers that are working in Aldus, we we're, we're interested in many different kinds of altered states, and we're just interested in consciousness in general. So I'm I'm first right. and foremost uh, by my training and by my interest a, a philosopher of mind with a, a strong interest in empirical uh, research. And so initially, my interest in in drug induced dissolution and and in drug research in general. Uh, was purely instrumental to my um, what is actually my doctoral project on self-awareness. So I'm interested in assessing the claim, a claim that we find in in uh, 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 in, in some publications in, in in philosophy, but also in neuroscience and in psychology, um, according to which um, self-awareness or self-consciousness is necessary for consciousness in general. So the idea is basically that, that there is a, a minimal kind of sense of self or self-awareness that um, you must have in order to be conscious. And in fact, mm -hmm. actually, sometimes some people even talk about, you know, use the adjectives conscious and self-aware in, in almost inter, inter, interchangeably. So, um, so on the face of it, it seems that, it seems to me, um, um, that people experiencing ego dissolution are still conscious. They have an experience. It's, it's, it's in fact a very intense experience. It's a very, it's a very uh, rich state of consciousness. But right. they no longer they are they seem to be no longer self-aware in any way. Uh, this is a contentious point. This is what I'm trying to shed light on. Um, so so th this is. From Apache, this is a potentially challenging case for the claim that self-awareness is necessary for consciousness. That's how I got into studying this. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in all the states. I'm interested in certain meditation-induced states and, and all the kinds of states. But um, this is perhaps the most dramatic uh, state of its kind, where it seems, if, you, if we look at the reports, if we look at the questionnaires, at, at the interview data, it seems quite strikingly that people Say they lost any kind of self-awareness or self-consciousness, and yet they, re mm -hmm. they remain conscious. So, you know, I, do, I that being said, I do think the study of drug-induced states is fascinating in, in its own right, uh, and that is for the reasons I have previously given when talking about altered states in general. So, 
uh, psychoactive drugs modify consciousness in, in unexpected and fascinating ways. And so I think, in a way, any researcher interested in consciousness should, in my opinion, follow this research closely because uh, using this, this uh, uh, you know, pharmacological compounds um, as, as tools, as a gateway to, to modify consciousness and, and, and look at, at aspects of consciousness that are difficult to study otherwise, uh, this opens up a, a, a fascinating uh, uh, new world for consciousness research. So, so that's in a nutshell why am I, why, why, why I am interested in such things. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you, you mentioned there um, the notion of, of self-awareness. So I'm going to jump down and ask you about this um, mm -hmm. because what, what I find, one of the things I really find interesting about your writing is that you challenge the notion that consciousness always involves self-awareness. Right. And so I want to know if you want to expand on that and, you know, mm -hmm. are, are you also breaking away from, I guess, a, a layman like me, um, every time I read somebody's writing, I come across the, the quote, something it is like to be, you know, something else. And your take on that right. is also, you know, really interesting. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on you know, the self-awareness test and, and your position on self-awareness being, you know, necessary for consciousness. Right. Thank you. Yeah, that's a very, um, of course, it's a question that I find very, very interesting. Um, so... First of all, I should say that I, 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 um, I, I don't associate the, the uh, expression something it's like to be to um, self-awareness specifically, but more generally to, to consciousness or, or what some philosophers right. call phenomenal consciousness. So this expression comes from a, a 1974 paper by Thomas Nagel called what, it's like, what is it like to be a bat, um, mm -hmm. in which he wonders whether we would ever be able to know what it is like to be a bat through studying bats in the lab, you know, through an objective uh, uh, study and an understanding of how, how bats work and, and what kind of receptors they have and so, and, so forth, and so on and so forth. And he said, no, there is something that was, would always be missing. It, 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 it's precisely what it is like to be a bat. So, uh, uh, you can know everything you 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 could you can't you you know you we could ever know about um, uh, the biology of bats and the science of bats and and, right. and down to the down to the atomic level how how what bats are um, something would be missing it's it's what it's like to for instance have an ultrasound and and, and use echolocation to to orient yourself in space navigate space and so on. Um, so, so that's kind of his main main point, and so he defines. I mean, there's, there's, this this is sticked around in, in 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 philosophy of mind as one definition of consciousness. Um, so the idea is that a conscious state, a conscious mental state, um, is a mental state uh, such that there is something it is like for someone to have to be in that state. So if you take um, uh, the state of a, of a, of a robot, for instance, uh, uh, you know, or, or like a, a, maybe a computer, the, the, um, the, 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 the kind of like a um, uh, 
software uh, uh, state of a, of a, of a computer uh, uh, made of, of, of binary code. Uh, this is not a conscious state because there is nothing it is like for the computer, presumably, at least you know, right. as far as I know, and at least you know, with, with, with today's computers, uh, maybe that will change. Uh, there is nothing it is like for the computer to be in that state. Um, you know, uh, something as, as uh, simple as, as a thermostat has, has states, uh, uh, or toaster has, has states, can be on and off, and so on, but it, there is nothing it's like uh, for the toaster to be in that, in that state. Um, now, even humans have mental states that are not conscious. Uh, so, you know, presumably we can have unconscious desires, we can have maybe uh, uh, unconscious beliefs, um, so we, we can uh, uh, maybe um, uh, probably have, you know, unconscious perceptual states, so we can, the brain can process um, um, for instance, visual information that we are not conscious of. Um, mm. So all of these states can be mental states. They are states, uh, uh, you know, that are uh, encoding brain brain processes um, that are not conscious because there is uh, nothing it is like for you to be in that state. That was kind of Nagel's uh, Nagel's point. Uh, so I'm not going to get too much into the details, but then there is, there's, in recent years, there are some people, including uh, Raya, Raya Kriegel, uh, whom you have interviewed, I think, for the first episode of this, of this podcast, who, right. who think we have put too much emphasis on the something it's like to be, right. and not enough on the something it's like to be for me aspect. For me. So, so they, they, they distinguish um, what it's likeness and what they call for meanness. Um, and, um, and so basically they think, you know, there is, there is a, a, if you take a, a conscious state, you have the qualitative properties of that state. Uh, for instance, you, you consciously see a red apple and you have an experience of redness, of roundness, and so on. I mean, this, this has various qualitative properties that, that uh, um, uh, can describe what you're experiencing. And then there is, the thing though is one more thing. There is the formy component, the subjective character of the state. The fact that it's it's not it's not that way. This, there's something it's like to be in that state, not just for anyone, but for you because you're having it. Um, and so that already brings us closer to a notion like self-awareness. Although for, for reasons yeah. I, I probably don't have time to get into, it's it's not exactly the same because what they mean by for meanness usually is more something like an awareness of awareness, so like a reflective. Awareness. I think right. I think Raya talked about this in the in the first episode yes. of the podcast. Um, so now to come back to self-awareness, properly speaking, self-awareness is the one's awareness of oneself. So it's it's my I, I use the term self-awareness and self-consciousness uh, inter interchangeably because these are both very vague terms, and I think you know uh, right. uh, uh, I don't think we get anything by um, I don't think there is actually at least I don't think there is any um, explicit distinction that, that people agree on between these two, these two expressions. So uh, being self-aware or self-conscious is just being aware or conscious of oneself. So essentially, if, if we use the something it's like uh, location, then you have to say, well, uh, to be self-conscious is um, to be in a state such that there is something it's like to be you, 
or to 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 be itself, to to experience yeah. oneself, um, and and that's a very contentious idea. Like you know, if you if you're watching a movie uh, and you're you're absorbed in the movie, you're very you know uh, uh, into the movie. Um, in what way are you really experiencing yourself at the same time? Are you really conscious of yourself at that point? Well, you know, some people say yes, some people say no, but it's not clear how we can solve this kind of dispute. Um, what's clear is that we are not at all times thinking about ourselves. We are not constantly, or at least, you know, you, you, you would have to be ex ex exceptionally self-obsessed to be, uh, you know, uh, consciously thinking about yourself all the time. So, so presumably, if, if there is such a thing as a minimal sense of self or minimal kind of self-awareness, it is something, something much more basic, much more uh, minimal than uh, uh, something like thinking about yourself, right? Um, and there are a lot of philosophers, I mean, maybe not the majority of philosophers, but some philosophers think that there is indeed such a thing, such a minimal thing. Um, and uh, it's more like some kind of background feeling, background uh, sense of self that is more diffused, that's not very salient. It's not something that that you know as sophisticated as thinking about oneself. It's more like a diffuse, uh, kind of like a, a background hum, as as uh, some people put it. Like like Dave Chalmers has this expression in in his book The Conscious Mind. Um, and and uh, I think that's still staying at at, at a vague a, a level of generality that is too vague. So I think it's very difficult to assess a claim that it's so so general such as saying there is right. you know uh, uh there is a kind of self-awareness that just like a, a kind of background feeling a background hum i think if you ask people in the streets some people might say yes some people might say no and you will have no idea how to solve this issue so my strategy is to try to break things down and to look at something more specific uh and so my personal hypothesis very very briefly is that mm -hmm. uh I think there is a fundamental aspect of most conscious states uh, that is indeed almost always there, which is the feeling of being located somewhere, of being the, the feeling of the sense of self-location. So, uh, you know, that, that ties back to what I was talking about when I mentioned Jennifer Vint's uh, work on dreaming uh, and, you know, what, what this called this feeling of being present in an environment. Uh, I think for, for all conscious organisms, uh, there is uh, something that's very, very important for survival because, you know, if you can't locate yourself in space and having a sense of where you are in space, then you can't really uh, find your way in an environment or escape predators and so on. Um, so I think there's this very fundamental sense of why I'm in space that, that stems from the brain's integration of various signals from various senses. From the, the visual sense and from uh, the inner ear that gives you uh, 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 a sense of uh, how your body rotates or accelerates or moves. Uh, right. And there is uh, uh, also proprioception, sense of the, your, the, the position of your limbs and how the move and, and so and so on and so forth, which essentially allows you to triangulate your position in space. Um, and I think that one central aspect of drug-induced solution is that you actually lose this fundamental sense of suffocation. Because if you look at the reports, um, people put 
individuals who, who, who describe this experience could have particular emphasis on um, merging with their environment or a feeling of unity with everything, which they describe in, a, in very spatial terms. It, it's yeah. like they are, they are losing their position in space. They're no longer anywhere in space. Uh, they're merging with everything. And so that to me suggests that there's something going on in self-location. And the reason why I think this is a, I want to pursue the, the assessment of this hypothesis is because I think it's, it's much easier to study such a hypothesis as opposed to study such a vague and general claim as there is a background feeling of oneself in conscious experience because that's, I, I, we don't have a protocol to study this. It's too vague, it's too general. If we talk about the specific sense of self-location, then things become a little bit easier and actually there might be, and that's something I'm, I'm working on currently, there might be even some implicit behavioral measurements that you can try to implement to measure this. So, so in a nutshell, my, my personal hypothesis is that, is that no, uh, there is not a minimal kind of self-awareness that is necessary for consciousness, because I, I do think that if you look at drug-induced degree solution and maybe other states, con which are conscious states, uh, there is no such minimal self-awareness that, that is still there. Although I do believe that, I also think that there is something like a minimal kind of self-awareness that pervades almost all conscious states, at least normal waking life conscious states. And, and, yeah. and I, 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 I want to reduce this to something easier to study. And, and what I think it, it amounts to is maybe among other things, but at least one of the crucial elements would be this sense of supplication in space. Okay. Yeah, that is, uh, that is a different angle. That I haven't considered, and it's interesting when you mentioned it, it did start to make me, the non-expert, you know, think of Descartes and and mm. his question. So it's it it is really really fascinating. So, you know, when you're talking about especially the the ego, the drug-induced ego dissolution, and self, and and you, I keep hearing you say, um, you know, merging with the outside world. Right. Um, you know, I assume that. And you brought it up with the, the the Buddhist tradition and whatnot, but I assume that you believe that there is a quote self. Is there a self in there? I mean, I, I ah, yeah. There has to be, but you know, what are your thoughts on that? Right. So that's that's a that's a very very hard question, but a very 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 interesting one. Um, it's very hard because first of all, I think the word self is incredibly ambiguous. Uh, Maybe, maybe even vague, I mean, that, in so many different things. And by the way, uh, I also think that's even, even more so the case with the word ego, and this is one of the reasons I am yeah. personally, I, I, I have some issues with the expression ego dissolution. Uh, it is the expression that is used in the literature, drug-induced ego dissolution, so I kind of have to go with it. But right. if it was up to me, I would use a different expression just because I think... Um, Ego, the word ego is, is associated with, with you know, uh, a psychoanalysis, it's associated with a, uh, a sense of personal vanity or self-importance. It can mean a lot of different things. And I don't think that's the things we're talking about when we study ego dissolution. So, um, uh, so, so that's, you know, something that I find potentially problematic. Uh, and also, we haven't talked about this, but, but there is this kind of like uh, association in, in the, in the um, the culture of, of drug users and, and, 
and the, the, the hippie counterculture with the, the work of Timothy Leary and the notion of ego death, which uh, uh, I think is, uh, uh, has done some, some, some damage to, um, or at least have you know, uh, uh, contributed to um, the situation we see where people don't take drug research too seriously sometimes, yeah, uh, because it has been associated to pseudoscientific hypotheses and to very like mystical uh, uh, claims that are not based on serious science. So you know, the notion of ego death was popularized in the '60s by by, by Leary and and um, and and with little scientific background, and uh, um, uh, it was associated with the Tibetan Book of the Dead and the notion of of the the, the ego being being dead and reborn through the psychedelic experience. I, I think it's very important as a, as a, as a researcher to, to distance oneself from such theories and such lexicon. Um, and so that's part of the reason why I'm not very fond of the expression uh, equal to solution. But that's kind of a digression. I, I, if I come back to your question about the self, um, um, well, maybe I'll surprise you when I say that actually I, I do not really think there is such a thing as a self. It all depends on what we mean by that, of course. But right. uh, uh, you mentioned Descartes, and of course that's a very um, uh, important reference for all of, uh, all of modern and contemporary philosophy. And, and uh, I, I, when I say that I do not think there is a self, I mean specifically that I do not think there is a self in the sense of Descartes. So some kind of entity which is persistent, immaterial, and even immortal, according to Descartes, so which is basically what he also called called the soul. Um, so uh, uh, you know the the the, 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 what, the the kind of worldview that metaphysical worldview that Descartes defended is, is, is what's called du dualistic dualism, uh, dualistic mm -hmm. worldview in which uh, you have this radical separation between matter or physical things and immaterial. Uh, things which are uh, uh, what, calls, what, what he calls souls. So um, I do not think that, that there is a self in that sense. Um, uh, and, and generally speaking, I would, I would even say that I'm not really interested in metaphysical questions about the self. So uh, there are some people, uh, very, very, very good and, and, and serious philosophers, who are uh, debating such questions. I think they are, they are interesting. I'm not completely dismissing them at, at all, but right. it's, just, it's just not what I'm doing. So, so some people are debating whether, you know, the self is um, maybe the organism. So maybe, you know, even you could say like the self is just the body. Or maybe you can say the self is just the stream of consciousness. Or maybe even you could say mm -hmm. the self is just like one fleeting conscious moment. And you, we have, we, we, we just are permanent, permanently, the self is permanently, uh, uh, you know, ending, uh, like every moment has its own self, this kind of view that maybe seems a bit crazy, but there are some, some very serious philosophers, such as Galen Strawson, that are advocating views that are uh, in this, in this uh, kind of this, in this um, territory. Um, so basically the idea that, that you know, uh, the self is a very short-lived metaphysical thing, that it's just associated to one moment of conscious experience. And each conscious experience has its experiencer, but uh, there is no 
continuity, there is no single entity that is the thing that experiences all my experiences. Um, so these are, you know, these are all, uh, you know, interesting and available positions as, as alternative to, to the yeah. Cartesian worldview. But I'm not really uh, working on these questions. So I, I'm, I'm working not on the metaphysics of the self, but on phenomenology, meaning the experience. What do we experience? Um, uh, what is, uh, what does it feel like to be in certain state of consciousness? So my, 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 my question uh, uh, is, is whether, is there, is there an experience of oneself? Is there a feeling of oneself? So I'm kind of agnostic on the metaphysical side of things. And I'm, uh, I'm rather uh, exploring, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, what, what, what happens in, in phenomenology. Uh, so to take an analogy, uh, if you're interested in hallucinations and you're, you're, you're looking at, I don't know, for instance, uh, del delirium tremens, you know, like this kind of uh, condition with, with uh, alcoholic individuals having uh, withdrawal symptoms. Uh, uh, this is the, the typical example of the pink elephant that, that uh, hallucinations that, that, that are induced by psychedelics are typically not like that at all. But, but in delirium tremens, you can have this hallucination of like, you know, whole animals or like something like this. So if you, if you take right. the, the picture uh, um, book example of, of the pink elephant, um, and you work on, on the phenomenology of, of the, the pink elephant hallucination, you're interested in what it feels like to see a pink elephant. But you're not really interested in whether or not the pink elephant is real. Of course, presumably you think it's not real. It's a hallucination, so presumably it, it's precisely a mistake on the part of your brain. It's, 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 you're just seeing something that is not really there. Um, right. Well, I cannot think of the self in a similar way. So I'm interested in what it feels like to feel as if you have a self, to, to have this feeling of oneself. And, and, and then, uh, you know, I'm open to the view that what we call the self on certain, at least on certain readings of this, of this expression, is an illusion or some sort of like a, like a hallucination. Yeah. It, is that. You know, I made a note of my questions about, you know, your analysis of Hume and this, quote, flow of experiential moments. Right. Is the, the self, is that, is that kind of, is that play in here? Is that, it's interesting, because you, you mentioned, mm. like, redness yeah. and blueness, and, and yeah. it's almost as if you're saying the self is also one of these qualities that, that we feel, as opposed to being our own ego our own self as a as an entity it's more that our body is sensing it and, and feeling right it. is that and we're yeah. with that yeah that's that's very that's a very very interesting point because uh hume um famously uh, you know argued against the gap that there was no such mm. thing as um uh an isolable um so like um, um, an experience of the self that you can have in isolation. So basically, he said, when I survey my, the content of my experience right now, I find maybe some bodily sensations, I find a visual experience, an auditory experience, and so on. I find some thoughts, maybe. Um, but I don't find the self. I, 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 you know, yeah. I keep you know, trying to find something like the self. I don't find anything like that. So uh what do we do with this 
Um, I think he had a point, you know, I think, uh, 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 and actually a lot of people, a lot of philosophers tend to side with Hume, Hume nowadays. Uh, indeed, that, you know, it's, it's very difficult to come up with an experience of the self that you can somehow isolate from, from the rest, right? Right. Um, however, um, if, um, so first of all, when, when, when kind of, one line of reply to Hume would say, well, it's not something that's salient in experience. So it's not something that's going to pop up when you, when you survey, when you introspect. It's not going to be something that's obvious. It's going to be something that's very, very much, you know, again, if you take Chalmers' metaphor, like a background, background hum in the background. Like so think about, think about it that way. Think like you're, you're, you're in a restaurant and you're having a, a, a very you know, uh, uh, interesting conversation with a good friend. Um, and you're very, you know, immersed into the conversation and, 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 and all of a sudden you notice that um, the music has stopped playing. And you notice, oh, there was a music playing in the background, like some kind of background music in the restaurant all along. It was kind of dim and not very loud. And it's, oh, now it has stopped playing. And so you, as it stops, you suddenly some, you, you, something feels different. You, know, you notice it and you, 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 you react on it. The question is, where are you experiencing music all along? Um, well, a similar kind of question can be asked about ego dissolution, right? Because all of a sudden, you have this very intense and strange experience of losing your sense of self, of, of something feels different, something is missing, or, or something appears to be missing in your experience. Uh, in such a way that it, 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 it radically changes your, con your, your conscious experience. Well, what, what kind of line of reasoning would you say? Well, it's, it's kind of analogous with the, the, the restaurant example. Maybe you had a kind of dim sense of self all along, but it's only when you lost it, it's only when it went missing in the drug induced state that you kind of, it kind of became obvious. But before that, when you surveyed the content of your experience, uh, like Hume did, you, you, you wouldn't be able to, have to, to find this kind of aspect. That's one, one way of arguing with Hume. But maybe there is another way, which is simply to say that, well, if, if like the kind of minimal background sense of self that pervades ordinary experiences is um, something much more, um, it, it, it much more, simple in a way, that, like the sense of self-location being located in space. Well, then it becomes less controversial that, in fact, uh, there is such a thing as the sense of being located somewhere in space. You can still debate this, of course, and, 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 and this is still a, a somewhat vague claim that has to be, I can't really get into the details here, but it, it has to be uh, argued more, more tightly. But, um, if you, stop think, if you stop trying to look for the self, which is kind of this very vague and you know, very difficult to find uh, thing, if you stop looking for the, the experience of the self and you look for something more concrete, like the experience of being located in space, then maybe it becomes less controversial that it's impossible to find such experience when you survey the content of your conscious state. So that's, that's just, yeah, very quickly some, some kind of principle replies to Hume. So I, I tend to agree with Hume, um, 
there is no such thing as the experience of the self. But that 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 doesn't mean that there is there isn't um, a, a, an aspect of our experience that relates to self-awareness. But maybe it's something that's a bit more subtle or a bit more simple. 